Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman. And Jamie Blonde, and you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now. In today's episode, Travel Marketing, we explore the intersection between real estate and travel marketing. Today's guest is Stephanie Chung, Director of Strategy and Insights for Market ID, a full-service global destination marketing firm based in New York City. Market ID partners with tourism boards and convention bureaus to attract North American visitors for leisure travel, corporate events, conventions, and incentive programs. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thanks so much for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure thing. Um, I'm actually one of the few weirdos that were actually born and raised in New York City. Um, so very happy to still be living here now. I'm based out of Brooklyn. Um, my career has taken a few shifts. I've done really everything from consulting. I have a finance degree to uh, teaching. I did teach for America. I've taught for two years. And then I ultimately landed in a role in which I get to do something I'm very passionate about, traveling and marketing. So very excited to be working with a lot of destination partners that actually I previously went to myself just as a leisure traveler. Um, and then now I have the great pleasure of um, helping them bring business to their destinations. So how did you find Market ID and how did you get started? Alex, this is 21st century online. <laughs> I, I always wish I had a more exciting answer. Um, I applied online. Um, and listen, actually, um, on a funnier note, um, at the time, I was applying to a few roles. And uh, ultimately, I was making a decision between very different career paths. Um, one was a role to overlook a nonprofit uh, for in the education space. So I guess in, in that, it's quite interesting that I've then ended up just sticking it through here. This is a addicting industry in that I think it's probably one of the most passionate industries I've ever come across um, and have the great pleasure of going to any industry event and everyone not ever wanting to end the evening because we're just also excited to be together and passionate about um, travel, destination marketing, um, and what we do. Well, there's so much human content in what you do and the contact with the human. Uh, you're not you're not just doing a corporate job. You're actually also involved with people and travel and destinations and cultures and ex and making the world a smaller place. It seems to touch so many interesting areas all in under one roof. Exactly. Exactly. So before we get into the, the, your recent rebrand, uh, tell us a little bit about the industry at large so our listeners can understand um, where your business and, and your uh, position in your business, where that fits in the landscape. Absolutely. And, and I think as, you know, regardless if you know the tourism industry, we are all consumers of tourism, where right? we all just, and we're all living through a pandemic in which our wings were clipped off, so to speak, uh, quite literally as well. And, you know, as a consumer, you guys have all felt the impact of tourism during this time. A lot of transitions has actually been made to driving domestic tourism and local tourism. So 
many destinations. And when I say destinations, I'm referring to a city or a country um, or state, right? So a destination could just be New Orleans Convention Bureau or New Orleans Tourism Board, or it could be Louisiana Tourism Board. And depending on uh, the state's country or government structure, you might find that certain cities within a country are really driving the tourism sector. And when we talk about what's happening to the industry at large, I was mentioning earlier that there's now a huge, there's really been a strategic shift at the height of the pandemic in looking at, well, if we don't have international tourism, or if we can't have state to state tourism, right? Because, you know, let's forget about European um, Americans flying over to Europe and all the restrictions there. But between states, we also had so many restrictions. And at one point, we were only really recommended to stay within the tri-state area as well, right? So that really pushed a lot of destinations who were primarily relying on a lot of what we call inbound travelers from other states, countries, and so forth to re-examine, okay, well, people can't travel. So how are we attracting the local community to reinvest um, in different tourism aspects of our city, state, country, and so forth? And what does that look like in the short-term plan? And how do we make sure our facilities and products reflect what our local community would be looking for? Because of course, um, as a New York City native, as an example, I'm not exactly excited to go visit um, Statue of Liberty, right? So again, (laughs) (laughs) right, right, right. (laughs) So it's repositioning what tourism products within your city look like for your local community. Now it goes beyond just local, right? I think, you know, um, you were previously called Marketing Challenges International. And so you had a a very um, keen focus on driving marketing for international destinations for businesses. And just recently you you rebranded to Market ID. Is there, um, tell us about that transition. Tell us about the name change. Tell us about uh, how that's how your business has slightly pivoted to 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 reach a broader market. Tell us where tell us where you're where you are where you've been where you are and where you're going. Super excited about the name change. Market ID is reflective of our new services that we're offering, but also a new discussion around. Well, okay, the company's been around for over forty years. Our managing partners, um, Michelle and Jacqueline, have been deeply vested in the industry. And a lot of what we do fundamentally didn't change, but we really wanted to make sure that we're showing that we're growing alongside um, our destination partners as well. Particularly in the pandemic, there has been a lot of strategic shifts as to what does destination marketing look like now? So our rebrand is truly a testament to our commitment to continue to evolve with our clients in the travel industry. Our sweet spot is in working with international destinations and convention centers, both on the business event side, so what we'll call convention bureaus, as well as uh, trade and leisure side. I remember when I worked on Wall Street, um, one of the big, uh, 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 one of the exciting things to look forward to was when we did 
uh, when we did a convention or when we did a conference in another location, um, whether it was uh, going to Miami in the winter for a healthcare conference or going to Arizona for a tech conference. And I can remember how excited my clients were. I think Barcelona branded itself as a telecom equipment hub and they had a major conference every year, a major convention every year. And that was part of the, the excitement of being in that industry. So uh, I can see how that, that, that has changed and evolved through what we've gone through with COVID, what we've gone through with, with, uh, with working remotely, and how the company has to pivot to continue to provide services that can enhance the attractiveness of these different locations for different uses. Well, you know, it's funny because all of that was used to, that used to be a boondock, right? It was the incentive of working your butt off for a year that you get a chance to go to this conference in like paradise. And, and you can party, you can drink, you learn a few things, but it's really about, about having fun. And also meeting people was also inter interacting with different people at different firms and in different industries and competitors and uh, and and it really was a, it was a it was a almost a, a not only a brand building of the corporation or of the city but also the brand building of the individual within their industry. Jamie, I love that you shared that. Um, and Alex, you also hit the nail on the head in terms of incentivizing that particular employee to work harder throughout the year, or maybe you're just attending as a, a individual yourself um, and you're not part of a larger firm. In deciding where a business event goes, part of the decision of that particular meeting planner is actually evaluating, well, what is the attractiveness of that destination for people to go to? And if it's a revenue producing event for them, then they're in particular, looking at, okay, what's trendy, what's hot, what's new, and how can I make sure I'm leveraging the destination actually to drive a higher attendee number? And Jamie, to your point regarding networking and actually building knowledge of and deeper knowledge of the industry, we and destinations really see this as an opportunity for people to build intellectual capital, right? Or also how do you then develop that particular industry in your particular destination? So it then ultimately ends up connecting to economic development as well. You actually have a few different destinations that have their tourism or destination plan connected to economic development and they're actually governed um, under the same umbrella. So it speaks to that, that those two working hand in hand. Yeah. So that's very interesting, right? Because I know that there are some destinations that are typical and classic, right? So everyone wants to go to Vegas. Uh, everyone wants to go to Barcelona and they've got big convention centers and all that. So I'd imagine that there are a lot of um, press and marketing organizations and, and, and the government really leaning in well-oiled machines to get businesses to throw events there. And then there are the, the, the roads least traveled, right? The, the, the countries that may not necessarily be in the top of the list, but would love to have businesses um, convention there. What do you see the balance uh, and opportunity between the two? Like, where do you, and where do you guys live in the, in that spectrum? It's a great question because it ultimately comes down to what is the need of that particular business event or 
what is the desired outcome for that particular leisure traveler, right? And what we've seen over the years, just to paint some context of who we've worked with, we've worked with everyone from the Barcelonas, the Paris, the Londons of the world to Istanbul and Dubai and Brussels, right? So it may not necessarily be destinations that you've already gone to and there's a bit of a supply and demand piece there, right? So of course, as a destination, you need to have the infrastructure set up for the influx of tourism. So when I speak to that, I'm speaking to airlift, um, number of hotel beds that you actually have within destination. What does um, transportation look like within the destination? Those pieces are going to then limit you to what type of business you're trying to attract as a city or country. And when you really lean into your assets and it's interesting for me to think about this because I come from the marketing world. So you think about a product as something usually that's tangible. So for me, the challenge and what's the most fascinating about my work is this is sometimes not tangible, right? You have cultural assets of a destination and then you have the hard infrastructure assets. Um, and let's say we can call that technical capabilities. So the destination first needs to understand, well, what are your assets, both from a technical perspective and the cultural piece, and use that to then define what is your ideal traveler. And if your ideal traveler isn't ultimately who you want to attract, how do you then make sure you're developing your products, meaning your service offerings within the country or city to be able to reflect that? So we'll work with destinations actually to define what is your what is your current off set offerings? Um, what is your current brand? And then how does the North American market view you? And then let's dive into figuring out who your key clients are rather than casting a wide net and saying, we just want all North American travelers to come because that is not the reality. You know, I, I, I immediately, I think of um, the fire festival uh, and the, the <laughs> but I mean, it's a completely different business, obviously, but cheese sandwiches, but you know, I, I imagine that there is an aspiration that a country and our destination has versus the reality um, of them being practical for a, for a business or industry, and I think it's it sounds like it's your job uh, as a company and, it, uh, and its business to really match the two and evaluate and um, and better understand the destination so that it has the capacity for um, you know for, for for business travel in the way that in the way in the brief that that you've that you've outlined. So so it's it's a brilliant. Um, business being able to make those connections as well as validate the the, um, the, the efficacy and, and the capacity for a destination. So that's awesome. Uh, do, you know, do you find um, that you do you struggle uh, to to make matches and and say a, a destination would come to you and say, hey, look, we'd love for you to market our product. 
um, but you're unable to do so because they just don't have running water or they don't have, you know, don't have you know, uh, travel and all that stuff situated. Or, so, or something even more important, which is there's a lot of different countries that have different reciprocities and who can enter and exit, how easy it is to get a visa, right? China, which I visited, is a nightmare to get a visa. It's a long process. It's an approval process. And so I can imagine China is a tougher destination sell when you want to bring, you know, 15,000 people in at last minute, uh, a, a, a corporate client wants to be able to go at the last minute. So it seems like it's not just the infrastructure. It's not just the marketing. It seems like you're also dealing with real government level, high level, you know, uh, immigration issues as well. Absolutely. Um, and that adds to the complexity and the fun of the work <laughs> to answer um, Yay! Um, your question. <laughs> there are absolutely moments where we need to really readjust the, or let's say manage expectations of a client because their vision for what they want to achieve oftentimes just might not be the reality, or maybe then it's about Okay, let's let's take that big picture goal and how can we break it down into the immediate six month, one year, two, three, four year plan and making sure we can really deliver measurable results, but speaking candidly to saying this is the this is how the North American market views your destination, um, whether it be about safety, perception of safety or the the reality that Jamie pointed out about um, actually ease of getting in from a visa perspective, it's laying out all those barriers to entry directly with our client and saying, we don't think that XYZ goal is possible. Um, but here is what we do think is possible. And those conversations are tough to have because in similar to every organization, while a tourism board or a convention bureau is not selling a tangible product, they still have the same issues of a company that's doing B2C that's selling a tangible you know, phone, for example. You have your engineering team that's working on all the specs and the build of the next five models in the next 10 years. And then you have your marketing and sales team that is trying to hit different objectives or you know, hitting the next target number or target volume because they just need to report to the board, right? So um, similar issues within tourism boards as a, you know, a, a, a tangible product. And at the same time, it has to be fun for the participants, right? I mean, I, 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 I mean, I think that, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the times maybe Zurich will, will check a lot of boxes, but not that interesting a place to be, um, to, to get your, your employees motivated and inspired for the year to come or what have you, if you're at a year end event. Um, but I imagine now we're just coming out of COVID some places more than, <laughs> more than others, uh, and people are ready to get out and they want to do stuff. And, and people either are, uh, people, companies are either incentivizing, uh, employees to come back to the office or creating events and experiences so employees can actually work and be together and, and see each other in person. And so I would imagine, and you could keep me honest here, that that um, more events are, are better for, for our future of work. So can you kind of tell me, since 
you know, obviously the beginning of the year. How has your business transformed? Has it increased? Where are you seeing the velocity coming out of coming out of COVID for your industry and your business? So many points you hit there that I, I want to speak to because the first piece of how has business evolved, it was truly tough for the industry because if you guys remember at the height of the pandemic, every destination was trying to do something virtual. They're like, come visit our 360 v- or virtual reality view of our museum, right? Or come experience what it's like to be in XYZ location. And Mona Lisa without the crowds. Right. But it's without physically being there, if you can't see, touch and feel it, are you really experiencing the destination? Um, and so to your point about, well, what is the industry looks like? We were doing a lot of virtual, a lot of hybrid, right? We were looking at different ways we could represent our destination clients and put them in front of key decision makers. But it was truthfully tough. And then it got to a point where, okay, we launched all these new initiatives to do digital engagement and we were getting some good traction. And then we hit Q4 of 2020 and everyone had Zoom burnout, right? Zoom fatigue. And so now we're not reaching key decision makers because they don't even want to be online anymore, let alone try to experience a destination virtually, right? Like, how can I pretend the room I've been in for the last year is not the room I'm in right now? Right. It, you know, it, takes, it might take a lot more than, than just hearing about it. Um, or seeing it on a flat screen. I mean, you know, first of all, that's that's hilarious because I myself um, no longer want to be seen. Like, I think people like, like nowadays, like the beginning, everyone's camera was on. Like now, like no one's camera's on. It's like, you, we went from camera being on to seeing your bedroom in the back to like virtual background. And the kids running by, <laughs> by and all that. And then virtual backgrounds of like being in paradise, but you're not really there. Like, I think you're in, you're somewhere in Central Park, I think. <laughs> you're back but like and now no one wants to even put their camera on and it's just like it's a, it's a thing so i think you're to your point you're right the virtualization bit is well, i think we're done with that which is why i think you know i would imagine your business has a um an upward trajectory because people want to go want to go out i guess the the big question is that do do companies and businesses want to make that investment you mentioned something earlier you asked um about businesses wanting to create more offsite opportunities since more of them are going remote. That is actually a new type of program that we expect to see on the rise. Because as many companies, you take a lot of your Fortune 500 companies are delaying and delaying when they're going to require their employees to come back on site. We see that that is reflective in their corporate events as well, right? So for example, if a company is not requiring their employees to be on site at the office, very likely that particular company also still has really strict business travel rules. And very likely then there's not yet planning corporate events um, and corporate events can be broken down into 
large scale, let's get the whole sales team together um, in a accessible location like Dubai to let's just get our board of directors together for an annual meeting. And that might just be 20 people. As an example, we are seeing those companies that are pushing their start date for it back in office to also pushing those major corporate annual programs that would come back. At the same time, what we're expecting to see is, okay, well, if we have certain companies that are committed to remote work for the next two, three, five, 10 years, or maybe they've completely revamped and they're going to a remote model, what they're going to need to do is create offsite opportunities for their team to bond, network, connect, and innovate. And we're seeing that come back at different waves. I'll take an example um, of Microsoft, major company that also plans many different types of business events, recently spoke with their senior meeting planner in looking at what is their strategy looking forward. Do you see in-person meetings come back? She's absolutely on, uh, in-person meetings are not going away is the immediate first answer. But which ones are coming first are going to change and what objective we have for those in-person meetings are going to change. Because now we see that any education driven, if you're, the objective of your event was to educate people on a particular topic, or it was more of a training event. Now we see there are digital tools that are more effective at doing that than getting and less 300 expensive. people. Yes. Um, than getting your 300 people together to listen to someone speak or watch something or test the product. But then you have your, B2C events, your consumer events. So Microsoft plans a lot of what we call in this industry, user conferences. So where are your users? Who's actually trying the product? Well, they need to test it. They need to speak to um, the product experts and they need to be physically together in one space to experience the product, ask the questions, and then ultimately, um, you know, hopefully convert to being a, a full-time user of it. So user conferences are definitely coming back sooner, but in a different way. So previously you're doing a user conference that's a thousand people in one location because you're doing a massive global conference. Regional conferences are now coming back first. So now I'm looking at if I want to impact, um, if I want to see my APAC Asia Pacific clients What's the strategic location within Asia Pacific rather than taking a global approach? So I, so I, here's an idea for you. I mean, I think that uh, if we were to think about micro events, all right, and say take, you know, you know, companies who have an exco an executive committee of 15 to 20 members that haven't been able to speak uh, or be in a room together to plan or strategize next year or Q1 or whatever, um, there is a company that they can go to, like a market ID, that can plan a offsite destination in Turks and Caicos, um, catered plan space, all that for two days for $100,000. I think that is an interesting business that I'm sure a lot of companies would probably take on. Just an idea. 
Well, let me ask you this. Um, what we haven't talked about, that's a good idea, Alex. And I, by the way, Stephanie, I love that Zoom fatigue uh, term that you used. I'm definitely going to be borrowing that. I'll send you the royalties. But one of the things we didn't also talk about, and, and, um, and Stephanie, you've discussed this in the past, is companies sometimes also look to do events in other locations because that's a region of the world they want to expand their business. That's a region of the world they want to get uh, revenue growth diversification. They want to be more visible. They want to attack a new market. They can't really do that with Zoom, right? How, 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 how do you see that coming back? And, if, and if, if so, is it really coming back? And if not, what are these companies trying to do if they can't do that? It's definitely coming back. Uh, and the way it's coming back is different. We see much shorter, what we call booking windows than before. So for if we're continuing on in discussing corporate events, something that was going to be planned and booked in one year, we're now seeing that people are doing that in half the amount of time because of so many uncertainties that came up during the pandemic of, oh, now you need a PCR test or now you don't, or now you have to be vaccinated or there is a quarantine requirement or not. For businesses, and when we talk about businesses, I also want to make sure I'm highlighting associations as well, because associations are a, a major part, actually, of uh, the business event, event business events landscape. Associations are usually experts of a particular topic, so it might be um, association of accountants, and there are multiple ones, but if you're an international association of accountants and your objective is to be able to share what the next big trends are or have a deep dive as to here's what here's our best practices in our country does that work for you guys and where are there opportunities to do better those association conferences and congresses are still actually planning much further in advance. Um, so Association Worlds will plan their large scale conventions two, three, four, five years in advance. Well, I can tell you on that note, I can tell you that the real estate um, industry has many of those things planned. I think, you know, when you're kicking off the fact that a real estate has seen a extraordinary boom in the last year, year and a half, um, obviously in the single family, but things are picking back up um, uh, uh, in the uh, you know in the urban centers, residential, hot market, commercial coming back, and it's a lot of people that need to celebrate their wins. So, from a from a standpoint of industry, I think real estate is definitely one that needs to really think about um, about you know, finding great destinations for their for their agents and their and their uh, their their colleagues and employees. So, got it. We got the industries, we've got the organizations, uh, we've got the destinations on business. I know that we didn't touch base, touch uh, touch on the leisure um, part of the industry. Is there anything that that comes to mind in terms of where things are going from a, le a business leisure travel um, that we may want to touch on? So many things. Um, and one piece of it is something that Actually, the market was moving a little bit away from travel, individual travel agents, right? Where because now we have access to 
all the information via our phone on Google, right? And people were relying a little bit less and less slowly over the years on agents. And we actually saw that during the pandemic, that has largely reversed itself to people are now relying on agents as authority to be able to share the most up-to-date information on what's happening on the grounds in those locations. And people are willing to pay for those expert services in a way that we kind of started to see a slow de- decline for. Yeah, I, I know it's like it's, it's like fake news, right? I mean, I, I think that when you when I look at, at destinations that online, it's all beautiful and it's all awesome. And and uh, there's all kinds of third party uh, companies that write fake reviews. And so there's never you never really know that whether or not the information that you're reading online is real or not. So I can I can sense that that having an agent, a human really just sort of giving me an, an agent perspective or consultation on what the ground looks like is 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 required now more than ever right and the agents know all the different rules in terms of what countries you can get into what kind of tests you need medical side of travel is something that you need an expert now your doctor isn't really that expert the the, the hotel isn't going to be your expert the travel agent has become very valuable in that regard and so building off of that then part of our role as market id as the agency is being able to provide counsel to our destination clients as to how should you now be engaging with the B2B side of the leisure market differently? What does your relationship with tour operators and consortiums look like now? And how are you making sure you're investing in the right channels as well? Because you're going to have differences in the type of end traveler that each operator or consortium focuses on and also looking at well what how risk how risk tolerant are they right because depending on which demographic and age group you're look you're marketing to they may very well be the market that will bounce back first because we can't talk about the industry at large unless we can really dissect who is traveling, why are they traveling, where are they interested in going to, what is their price sensitivity, and that really then is going to impact how you're building your marketing and sales approach within the North American market. So that is a brilliant uh, business model. And I think that the the industry that you're in is vastly evolving. I think the most recent pivot in your branding and your and your positioning and your service offering is a really amazing way of being able to capture both the um, the sentiment of, of of convention and bureau travel uh, as well as business travel now into the future. So I really um, love um, what you what you guys have done. I really love your perspective on the market and I wish you uh, an amazing success uh, in the years ahead as we see the future of, of, of convention travel changing. And I also want to add to that, you know, coming out of COVID, it's almost like a rebirth and it's companies like yours that are going to help guide not only companies, but uh, cities, countries, governments, to help bring what everybody used to love back into our lives, which is 
traveling for a bunch of reasons, for business, for pleasure, and just to, to enhance our lives. Well, uh, with the conclusion like that from Alex and Jamie, I guess my job is done. Um, <laughs> and I can't wait to meet the two of you in hopefully some other exciting part of the world very soon. All right, let's we're going to do the real estate podcast in Bali next week. So stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned, and you're Fantastic. all invited to come there too. The, as the, well. the only question is a bungalow on the beach or a bungalow over the water on stilts. That's the biggest we'll have. Which to one out. has whichever one has better Wi-Fi? Downloading <laughs> the background right now. Okay, thank you very much, Stephanie. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you both. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to the Real Estate Podcast. Give us a quick review and rating on iTunes. Check out our website at therealestate.co and let us know if there are any new topics you'd like to hear us address. We love hearing your feedback. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.